Healthcare is an interesting subject because it elicits a lot of emotions from anyone and everyone. Most people have a concept of healthcare that involves insurance companies, big hospital systems, and usually a lot of frustration. Others interpret healthcare as this big, faceless shadow that hovers over us and just exists. This faceless shadow is usually discussed within the federal health debate. Our healthcare industry has become politicized, and there's no way around that. Good ideas have become mired in the logjam that is the U.S. Congress. While our federal representatives squabble over the latest headline, our elective representatives at the state level are listening to constituents and working to bring positive change to our lives. One of those hardworking people is here with us today. From the Freedom HealthWorks Network, this is Healthcare Americana. Today's podcast is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks, a company on a mission to turn healthcare delivery on its head. It works to support all physicians who are interested in direct care, cutting out insurance companies from their practices, and to spread the word of this model to everyone, including employers. For more information on direct care, visit freedomhealthworks.com and by the great people at the Free Market Medical Association. They're connecting true buyers and sellers of healthcare, educating and motivating them to work together based upon mutually beneficial relationship, which is also built on three pillars, price, value, and equality. For more information, visit fmma.org. And now, here's your Healthcare Americana host, Christopher Habig. On this episode of Healthcare Americana, I'm joined by Indiana State Senator Victoria Sparks, representing District 20. Senator Sparks, thanks for taking the time to talk with us on Healthcare Americana. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, you're a native of Ukraine, emigrating, in, emigrating to the U.S. in 2000. Tell us more about yourself and, and what your experiences were growing up and then moving to a new country. Well, recently I was kind of uh, driving to the state house and was thinking I spent uh, most of my life in the United States, all of my, my mature life. But second most, I spent actually in Soviet Union. That's where I grew up before uh, Soviet Union fell apart and became Ukraine. So I grew up in a socialistic country. I saw what's happened when socialism runs out of money, and it's only a matter of time. And now I am uh, in the country where I build them socialism. So I thought, wow, that is like a full circle, terrible, terrible thought. But, um, you know, experiences all parts of um, healthcare and knowing what socialized healthcare is, mm -hmm. it's really a terrifying thought for me. So that's what uh, made me become a politician. Yeah, I like that. You hit the, the socialism view of you. Eventually, you run out of other people's money, right? And so that obviously, you know, through our conversations, you're a big proponent of limited, limited government policies. Um, I know you, you mentioned that you studied Adam Smith and Milton Friedman uh, growing up. And I, I just want to know what kind of influence did your childhood up until age of 13 when you came over to the U.S. living in a Soviet Union type of a system? What type of influence did that really have once you got out of that and said, holy cow, this isn't the way the world is going. There's a, there's a better way of doing things out there. Well, I think it's interesting for me because not that long ago, Milton Friedman was talking, well, we have all of these surpluses. People will be enjoying freedoms. We'll never get into that. And we'll always have enjoy this free enterprise that will empower a lot of people. And it really didn't take us very long 
to get to the government control in so many areas. And I would argue that healthcare about 90% directly or indirectly controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. And we kind of forgot completely that the government is the biggest problem that we have in everything, anything we touch. Healthcare education is in trouble. So someone who grew up in 100% monopoly mm-hmm. <laughs> controlled by government, and we're at the point we have two choices. We going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, we need to go back to free enterprise that made our nations the greatest in the world. Or a lot of people saying, you know what? Nothing is working. Market is not working. We have 100% government monopoly and control of prices. And it will control prices, but will be fatal for the quality. And people are going to be very, very shocked what is going to be. So I live through that. So I see what next is going to happen. First experience, yeah. It makes it real and makes me not sleep at night. It makes me become a politician. And uh, that is a hard job to be one, too. So it's a great honor, but it's a huge responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned words within this healthcare debate. You mentioned the words monopoly and price fixing. And I want to talk about your background. So once you came to the U.S., you know, you work your tail off, um, you become a CPA, you go to graduate school, and you're basically a high-level financial executive, businesswoman, farmer, all kinds of stuff, community member. What made you get involved in politics in the first place? The government. The terrible thought how much government we have. And I've been here for 20 years. And the amount of government control and regulations and harassing people and businesses, it's either federal, state, or local, it's terrible. And I grew up, when I when Soviet Union fell apart, I went to School of Economics, National University of Economics in Ukraine, and we had a vibrant debate of two philosophers. You know, we still have half of academia that like Karl Marx, and we have this new wave of academia, Milton Friedman, Smith, and, you know, so we had talk about Hayek and Keynes, so we had lots of debate and discussion, which the college really what it should be. It's not anymore. I teach a little bit at college here, but that's what it should be, the discussion and debate. So for me, it was a scary thought that the country where we're here still with the most freedom and the only hope for the rest of the world (laughs) to promote freedom is falling into this trap of socialism. And Karl Marx said it's inevitable, right? And and Hayek said, well, it's inevitable, the trend, but people need to wake up at some point and do something about it and they can prevent it. I think we better wake up at this point. And I felt like, you know what? You need to put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) And if you talk about it, do something about it. So I think that is something that made me to do something about it and see how terrible where we are and we have to change something about what we're doing. Sure. And I'm curious because you teach uh, at the Indiana University Kelly School of Business and I myself am a Pratt graduate. So I'm, I'm curious, what do those discussions in your classroom look like? Because you tend to have a different viewpoint than a lot of, of other people in academia uh, in this day and age. Well, I teach in Indianapolis uh, uh, campus. We also have Bloomington campus, and I have a lot of um, friends and people know there. My sister's PhD in Michigan. So I have a vibrant debate with a lot of my colleagues, and I think Indianapolis 
campus have more business people teaching from practical real experiences and understand not just from the books but from reality of life mm-hmm. what government can do what socialism can do what regulations can do so there is, it's a different campus with different perspective so I think we have much more professors taking a different more practical approach to issues but uh, I think academia became also dysfunctional uh, in being what we need to be because it's a process where you have the thoughts and debates and ideas to broaden your horizons and discover some new things. And it's it's not there anymore. And our business school, you know, it's it's different. I feel that, you know, all business schools are different, but here because we just have more people that live in real life, not this, you know, in a bubble of academia and trying just to be, be talk to each other and please few people to be published and the people that they try to please have a very specific sure. rules imposed sure. on so them. It seems like it's a little bit more open to that debate that brings value. Yeah. I think we not as much worry about publishing. It's more people practicing actually delivering knowledge. And I think that the publishing world and control of it, like in healthcare, Medical association and some people on top boards control and barriers create actually a lot of people in academia suppresses them to be free to say what they say. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. So, uh, so here you are, a financial executive. You're the CFO for the Indiana Attorney General's office. And then uh, last year in 2018, uh, you get appointed to fill a seat vacated by a, a, a longtime senator. So within 2018... You attach your name to a lot of bills centered on healthcare cost studies. What were the results of those studies and what were results of your efforts to to shine light upon, hey, this is a major issue. Guys, we need to figure out what's going on here. What was that like? Right. Well, um, actually, you know, I was elected by precinct committee man, and that is very informed voters too. So we had hundred voters and well, I six rounds. Not appointed. Well, I mean, what people elected, say because yes. it's a different. You know, sometimes government appoints. Sometimes it's actually much harder to convince hundred informed people than hundred thousand not very well informed people to actually to get their vote. I'm glad you made that point. Then. You know, I apologize. Yep. But uh, but I, I'll be honest with you. I've been in business. I was a Fortune uh, 500 audited for big four and I had lots of different clients all over the country, all over the world, in a variety of industries. And I could tell that healthcare is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see it uh, as being a finance professional. It's really a big part of federal, state, family, employers budget and the quality is not there, but price is out of control and spend is out of control. So when I became a legislator, I actually I uh, did a program at Harvard Business School with one of my colleagues and friends that um, did uh, does some um, actually kind of very famous in the accounting and finance world. He is the one who co-founded Balance Scorecard, activity-based costing. So I kind of uh, was going to work on some different stuff, but then I look and he was doing some on healthcare costs with uh, Dr. Kaplan and Dr. Porter. So I said, well, I'm going to visit them and do some executive education with them just to see what they're doing and kind of how they look in price and value. 
value uh, competition. So I did that, and then I started discussing with my legislators. I said, we have to really deal with that. We have to do it. So I kind of legislated some summer studies. It's very difficult to deal with complex issues. So everyone is like, oh, yes, we need, no one wants to do it. Then I started working with employers' forums. They did some study on uh, price uh, transparency, and Indiana happened to be uh, the highest from uh, 25 states that they studied on healthcare prices. Mm-hmm. So I shared that stuff with my colleagues, the governor, and I said, you see, we have to do something about it. I told you, we have yeah. to do it. So I think having that, you know, other people and employers and really kind of becoming more interested and informing my colleagues and make it more urgent. I think a lot of people understand, but it just involves so much and it's hard for legislators. So we actually legislated this year to take a deeper dive and as a state uh, to start dealing with it because I will be honest with you, I am <laughs> a big believer in the tens amendment and things happen at the t- at the state level. I think our federal government believe in more and more. I think that they have to push it back to the state. So hopefully mm-hmm. they'll just, we don't need their help. We just need them to stay the hell out of our way. <laughs> and that's the only way I'll ask them. And I'm uh, in light of the 17th amendment that I don't like personally, I think 10th amendment became hard to enforce <laughs> from my perspective. It was a state legislator. I reach out to my colleagues a lot at the federal level and kind of working with them. And I think a lot of them have good intents, but we just need to have more freedoms and we'll let give more freedoms for individuals here too. Yeah, and, and go back to the framers of the Constitution. Each state was set up as its own independent little experiment and a lot of power was distributed and very few actually rolled up in the federal level. So I understand there and you, you find a sympathetic ear uh, across the table from you at this microphone. But um, going back to something you said earlier, when you were working for these Fortune 500 companies in the in the big four accounting firms and just benchmark or ballpark this one for me. How high did the healthcare costs rank on their their profit and loss statements? We hear a lot of businesses that say, hey, my healthcare costs are probably my second highest expense and we're not a healthcare company. And we hear that a lot and say, you know what? I don't care what industry you're in. If you have any type of benefit plan, you are a healthcare company in some capacity. So what was your experience dealing with those high costs from a business standpoint? Well, and it's interesting because we just had recent conversations with Dr. Kaplan, and he said, very interesting that a lot of employees don't treat healthcare as purchasing, but benefits. Because it is a purchasing, okay? They're in business of purchasing. So they sometimes complain a lot too, but ultimately they should be the one who's purchasing too and have a purchasing department dealing with the best value and price. But I think the problems that we created, the government, they created was price controls, wage and price control during World War II to control inflations with subsidized health care for employers. So it became tax-free, tax-exempt. So they didn't have to worry about it, right? It's cheaper for them to provide more dollar of health care, fringe benefit than a salary. And if, until it starts suppressing wages, until it starts becoming a huge problem that this, they cannot shift costs to anyone else because everyone has shifted around, the old stakeholders and oligopolies played the game of, you know, to shift in the cost, 
And then the shift to consumer, eventually too, you know, there is no way to shift anymore. Now they're like, okay, let's do something about it. And I'm glad that employers are being a voice to that. But I think they neglected that issue for a while too, I have to tell you too. So all of them, everyone understands there is a lot of blame to go around. The biggest blame is probably politicians with perverse incentives in the government. Sure. You know, we created the system, so I don't blame stakeholders for creating oligopolies if we incentivize them. I mean, we have to blame ourselves. We have the biggest problem in the here. And we created, and until we change these barriers of entry and perverse incentive is not going to change. But if we do that... It's going to make a huge difference. Right. I think it'll be interesting to see in the coming years. Uh, we've experienced this incredible, just incredible period of growth in our economy. But if things start to contract, what big employers, what their reaction to that will be? Because I think they're going to zoom in on cost, specifically healthcare costs within their companies and say, that's the first thing to go. So we'll see. I mean, Hopefully nothing, uh, no type of recession or anything like that coming our way, but things have to come back into balance. And I think that's going to be in the crosshairs. So back to, your, back to our conversation here. It seems like a prevailing thought in more of the national news debate, national media, um, that healthcare is only something that can be fixed at the federal level. You mentioned a lot of faith in the 10th Amendment, but I wanted you to expand on that a little bit more and say, you know, why are solutions from a federal level not going to benefit us, whereas we need to focus at what the states can do, because that's truly where it's going to be able to to right these wrongs. Well, I think these people need to read Hayek a little bit more about centralized government. It never worked. They need to read a little bit. We need to have more economics in our have, business We're going to have a reading list at the end yeah, of this episode. But, but and, it's kind and, of uh, interesting, because I was in the committee, and they say, well, we actually had intentional asset, you know, you know, effort to consolidate because it creates better negotiation and better prices. And I said, what school of economics teaches that oligopolis and monopolies have better prices. I've never been to, so I'm not sure. Maybe there are some school of economics here would be interesting to see, and maybe that's where a lot of our politicians went to, because this is something I've never heard. And I, I studied both school of economics, as I You've said. You've experienced and both, And experienced right? both yeah. of them. But it's interesting because I one size never fits, one size never fits all. And I think I honestly believe a lot of federal people start realizing that too. So they do a lot of drama to justify the existence. But honestly, a lot of them, I think, start in looking, including administration, to give more flexibility to the states. And they understand that all of that innovation, all of the solutions are going to be at the states. And I hope as a states, we're going to be more proactive and push on them and not subrogate our rights to the federal government because there are a few functions that they should be doing. And I believe it's going to be pushed down to the states. You can see even within issues with oligopolies, monopolies, antitrust, states that taking initiatives because people see us, people get into our face. We have real problems. We don't sit in the scene, the fancy, fancy steak dinners. We actually here on the ground so they can get to us and we start looking at issues. So I think it's become more urgent. I'm glad it is. And I, I do, I do believe the best thing they can do. And I think a lot of them will start doing it. Hopefully at some point when they stop doing drama, actually to deregulate. And so this regulation don't tell state what's to do because each state has a different unique needs too. And we cannot say that my state is the same as the state of California. I'm glad it's not or Illinois. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, a couple of different points you brought up there that kind of makes a lot of sense once you say it out loud is this insistence that uh, the federal government wants to go to this monopoly. And you see a lot of the the, uh, the candidates on the left saying, oh, we need single payer health care. But there's a rule of kind of law that is that is taught to you about economics that monopolies are very good for the monopolists and very, very bad for consumers. So why are people saying, hey, this is what we need? You know, where does that education gap exist? Because we talk about it that healthcare is not a free market right now. How did that ever come about where if you interview somebody on the side of the road thinking, oh yeah, single payer is it because the free market healthcare system has failed us. How do, you, how do you pull them aside and say, we don't have a free market health system? You've mentioned oligopoly, you mentioned monopoly before, but where did that education gap come from? I think people just frustrated and people are frustrated. And I think the education should come from people like you and me and some other people that understand and know that free enterprise empowers individuals. All of monopolies, oligopolies, and government only empower special interests. It suppresses poor and sick, and it creates a lot of millionaires and billionaires and expense of promising shifting money to poor that never is going to happen anyway. So it's all, you know, just doing the political sales and promises that they cannot fulfill. And ultimately, you know, I think Friedman was talking about that the, the benefit of monopoly, then there is not more to sell and promise to politicians. So at least, you know, this partial, you know, government control creates a lot of bad incentives. So it's kind of created even more bad stuff. So I think, you know, but I, I think if we want to be honest and say, you know what, we failed our country, we failed our people, and it's fatal to equality and say, we're going to go and get government control with rationing and everything else, because that's the only way how monopoly can. So, you know, if we talk about even Medicare, you know, our senior patients, you know, they got it the best, right? Look at Europe. If you're an old and sicker, you're going to be at the end of the line. Okay, you're going to be, I'm sorry, we have to treat youngest first. So you, you're going to be sorry, dude, you have to die. Okay? It's, it's rationed I mean, care. There's quotas I mean, of how many people they is. can see during it the day. Is. So old and sicker people always going to, the most disbenefit is going to get from all of this because it becomes more uh, for politician, you know, I've got, you know, I need to spread money around to give it to healthier people that majority, I get a lot of voters, you know, so if I have a limited amount of money that government is going to have. So, and I think that really causes disservice to people that are sick. Sure, sure. No, I, I totally agree with that. And, and uh, that's one of the biggest issues, you know, within direct care, obviously, where Freedom Health Works comes in and we're big proponents of that. And, uh, stripping out any type of middlemen, whether it's insurance or government. But within direct primary care, there's this there's this thinking that at a federal level, with a stroke of a pen, the feds can can fix everything and open up this beautiful market and allow people to purchase medicine or purchase healthcare services for transparent pricing and all this cool stuff. But everything's focused on making HSAs compliant for purchasing direct care rather than opening it up and saying, why are we even regulating how people spend their dollars? And for something like a direct care movement, you know, what we need in there is actual doctors. We need the people who are practicing medicine to open it up and, and say, hey guys, here's a blue ocean over here. This is a lifestyle. This is a better living. This is better care for your patients. And 
Indiana has been one who recognized that from from very, very early. And I know that you're working on certain proposals like that. And we've had discussions on physician non-competes. We've had uh, discussions on making pricing more transparent. And you've been very, very receptive of that, which I appreciate. But you've also said this is part of a more comprehensive approach. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what does that comprehensive approach uh, look like that you're working on right now? Well, we know very well, piecemeal approach hasn't worked and it's not going to work. We've tried and adjusted here and there. It's like a balloon, right? So everyone and everything should be on the table and on the menu. That's what it is. The whole market is overregulated, and we need to bring all of the stakeholders and say, no, it's not about shifting the cost or blame or shifting the power. It's how we can bring competition on value and price at every parts of the market, that I'm as an individual, have a contract with a doctor, and a doctor service my needs, not insurance company or the government needs. No one tell the doctor what I need because we're all different. And since healthcare is so unique to each individual, applying one-size-fits-all system is one of the worst places to do. Yeah, it's very personal. Very, it, you know, I, what happens in the exam room is, is between it's, a doctor and a patient and nobody else, that's right? That's right. And telling someone what is the best for me and bureaucrats, whether it's government or insurance company, whoever it is, it's just the worst thing we can do. And we need to make services more shoppable. I need to be able to know what kind of price I'm going to pay and what quality I'm going to get. And I think that has to happen. And then ingenuity and innovation is going to change the market to not recognizable like what did it with everything else i mean look at this big desktop and now we have this little iphones are getting skinny and skinny every other market and i audited been involved in every other industry that we didn't have so much government we have some but not as much you know we have so much innovation and education healthcare the two industry that are so behind that is crazy we want to practice medicine like we did and everyone talks well everything still work we had this in 1946 and i'm seriously you gonna tell me that all of this business model from 1946 i'm working on pension and labor we have a lot of discussions other things i'm like are you still saying that this is still relevant? Yeah. I mean, are you serious? I mean, just go take a deep dive what happened at that time and imagine. I mean, so we have to reassess that. And I think we have to touch every piece of healthcare. Otherwise, we're going to shift again the power. We'll create, eliminate oligopoly and power in one area and it moves to another. And we need to stop doing that and kind of move markets at the same time comprehensively. It's difficult but we have to have a plan and start taking steps. And I honestly think as soon as we start deregulating and eliminating the barriers, we have a lot of smart people, business people, innovation that actually will going to move that market that people would never recognize healthcare, what it can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's great to hear. But do you find that you ruffle, ruffle some feathers in the state house? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, you always do. You know, the tyranny of status quo, right? It's pretty bad, but, you know, as bad as the tyranny of the government, you know. But I think it's very difficult because until, if you have perverse incentives, it's very difficult. And I work with a lot of executives, large companies. And, you know, until it starts, you know, moving your bottom line, until it starts affecting you, a lot of, you know, executives don't really want to do something about things. It's convenient. It's easier, right? I mean, we don't, you know, want to overwork generally. 
know if it's, we don't have to, right? Mm-hmm. But I think as soon as you put the right incentives, a lot of these companies will start, you know, moving. And I think, I think the genie is out of the bottle unless they want to have government monopoly. And I don't think any stakeholders want that. Honestly, <laughs> they're going to lose way more. I yeah. think they will have to start moving and looking at their models and adjusting to new business and you know to new type of practices and innovation. They'll just have to do it. I know it's hard. They're used to it, but they'll do it. But it's definitely, you know, believe me, I don't underestimate the amount of political pressure and capital, you know, it takes to be able to move the needle. Yeah. So it sounds like you have this, this, this idea and, and everything you're saying is like, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yeah. 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 That makes sense from a, from a consumer standpoint. So I want you to paint your vision of the perfect healthcare industry. How does it function? How are people able to buy? Who's involved? Go ahead and paint us that, that picture. And then um, I want to discuss kind of the impact that it would have on people's daily lives. So what is that vision that you have? Well, it's the same vision as anything else when we have a competition and supply and demand, you know, making the determining the price and me and consumer buying the direct service. I go on Amazon, buy a book, I go to places so you have choices what to buy, what kind of service, what I need, what kind of book I want, what I service want, what kind of app I want on my phone, how much I want to load, what how much memory. So you decide as a consumer what I really need because we have all different needs and desires. Mm-hmm. So you have a place, I'll be able to, you know, determine what the quality of that uh, book or the quality of that service or goods are. I have to be able to shop. I have to be able to shop. And then I have to be able to look at innovative solution. If I have some disease, if I have some type of cancer that that cancer is treated in the Mayo Clinic or in Australia or whatever, in India, I have to be able to get that service what fits me the best. And I will be able to get that treatment or disease or medication. You know, that is something that I, as a consumer, will be able to help with some specialists, you know, some advice from other doctors or employer, or maybe even talk, you know, hey, Google, <laughs> can you suggest me what you see there? You know, and don't tell I it think, to your doctor, though. You know, they might say, hey, why but, don't you call me first? But, but, <laughs> but you know what? I mean, and then I might talk to my doctor. It's okay. We have to have a conversation. I want to have a profession get you know because there is a lot of stuff on google that you know might be not true but at least i can research and do things i know what to pay it's not like go you know there is no other service when i go and you give me a service you know i got the car and then you'll send me a bill in a time and i keep you keep sending me bills and bills and i'm like oh my gosh i mean there is no other industry I mean, it's unbelievable how consumer could accept, you know, I go buy a cheeseburger and you send me the bill, whatever you want in a few weeks. And that might actually change quite a bit. I mean, and the price to, of that cheeseburger depends on what kind of card you have in your wallet. Well, and it, and it really does. I don't even know what it depends, whatever you decide to do, because I could never understand what you wrote. There's three pages of ingredients on the cheeseburger, so I will never even know what in the world I'm paying for. But I'm definitely looking, I'm like, ooh, this is pretty bad, you know. So, I mean, I just don't understand how, as a consumer, we could even allow that happen. 
And I think this is our fault in some ways too, because we didn't demand, you know, the price and quality on the products like we do in everything else, you know. And I think we as a consumer need to start rethinking, and maybe we'll be brainwashed that healthcare is different. Well, it's ever as everything else, you know. There is no difference. It's you buy a service, you buy a medication, you want to be able to get the best value price and quality, and that's what really will drive the most innovation and the best health outcomes. I love it. It, it, It's taking the power away from, like you said before, the oligarchy, oligarchy, excuse me, and the insurance companies and the government who represent the third-party payers and putting all that power back into consumers. But as consumers, we have to educate ourselves and say, okay, we're actually going to shop around for healthcare. And, you know, we've had guests on the show who say, I didn't even know that was a thing. It even, th- it even crossed my mind. I thought that these health systems had my best interests in mind when in reality, you look at the bottom line, you look at the prices and the costs and what they're charging you and saying, holy cow, this was even, I didn't even think to ask that. And so, you know, there, again, back to the education gap that with great power comes great responsibility, you know, to quote Spider-Man or whatever the heck that movie was. But it's like, you have to empower yourself as a consumer. If these things, if your work is all geared towards giving power back to consumers and then helping physicians along the way too, because too often they're treated as culprits, but really they're innocent bystanders over there saying, I wish I could help you, but I can't. No, and, it, and it's terrible because physicians anymore are working either for the government or for insurance companies, not for you as a patient. So they cannot do, I'm sorry, that's the best for you, but sorry, it's not covered. So what can I do about it? I mean, it's terrible if that's happened with any other industry. And we kind of forgot, you know, we, our self-interest drives in every organization or every human being. So when we say that somebody else is going to be responsible and have more interest in us than we are ourselves, we're kidding. We probably need to really make Friedman required, Milton Friedman required reading. I honestly, <laughs> he was the most famous uh-huh. you know, economist that the United States ever had. And it surprises me that majority of people don't know about him, at least a little bit. So I always, when I have uh, interns or pages at the state house, so give him little tiny book, you know, it's a 15 or 20 pages, his essay, Why Government is the Problem. I mean, it's an excellent reading and every young person, or not young, should really read it because he was just brilliant to be able to say it in such a concise way what free market is doing and how much we really advance in areas where we do have free market and how much we stagnate in every area where there is a lot of government. And we can protect, and I understand, I'm not blaming special interests. We have special interests for every disease, every group, every type of service, I mean, for everything. You know, and they have on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, both sides in a political arena. They pay their play their fight, and we politicians accommodate that. You know, and it's unfortunate, but I don't blame them. If we let them do it as a consumer, as elected officials, why not? I mean, it's an easier way than actually go and compete. You know, Mickey Mauer, he's a businessman here, and he had like once spoke once, uh, he said, you know, he started tennis courts early in his business career. And in the tennis courts, a lot of people, you know, start coming to the courts, became real popular, he started making good money. And then they all started popping up all over the in, all of Indianapolis. And he's like, Oh, my gosh, so he had to close them. So he says, after that, he only entered into businesses with barriers of entry. <laughs> Just very hard. <laughs> like we you said, know, like we said, monopolies hard. are good for the monopolist, but uh, consumers, 
end up end up losing there. So um, I wanted to ask you here as we wrap up, and I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So uh, with your efforts, um, it seems like you're, you're, you're kind of going against the tide here, um, even in a, a consumer-friendly state, free market-friendly state as Indiana. So I want to ask you, how can people who are interested in learning more or getting involved, what's the best way for them to get involved? Well, I think people need to get involved with their elected officials, inform them that they care. And you would be surprised, you know, how how much impact few uh, real, not like people that lo- lobbies or just special interest group, but real people showing up to the committees, to hearings, writing emails. I think Congress actually did even the study. They say if you get more than five <laughs> phone calls, you really start paying attention. The same, you know, your state legislators, you, your local people, whoever works, I think just inform them that you care, that you want to do something about it, that you're concerned about it, because a lot of them do care. It's just, you know, prioritizing, and you need to make it a priority. If you care about that, we have our state website. You can go to General Assembly website. We have everything online. You can watch committee meetings. You can email us. Feel free to email me anytime with your ideas and thoughts. I'm very open to them. I'm always stay open-minded, look at all of the sides of the issues. I work with the federal people. I involve some smart economists and I said, you better step up this free enterprise economist. I don't see you around too much. You're just writing these books. Headlines. Yeah. Get involved with legislators. So I think, you know, that's something is very important and promote it. This idea Yes, with your friends, with your neighbors, with people around you, educate and let us know, you know, how we can educate better and promote these ideas and ideals. Unfortunately, we have to sell freedom. <laughs> it's sad to say, but we have to be able to sell it. And uh, it's sad, but it's okay. It's just a reality and happens all the time. But I purely believe that our people, every person want to be free and they don't want government to tell you what to eat, what kind of pills to buy, where to go, when to go to sleep. I think most people do not want that. It's probably a fight that you didn't see yourself having once you left the Soviet Union. No, I never thought, <laughs> you know, but I'm very well prepared because it's funny. People always, my colleagues make fun because when Soviet Union, they all, uh, we had to, you know, get prepared to fight all of this capitalists from the West and all of this. So actually every student at school had to put AK-47 in 30 seconds. You know, wow. so my friend said, if you do it again for us, we'll pass all of your bills. So I might have to actually <laughs> practice for that one because I need to have some of my healthcare bills passed. <laughs> like, you know, blindfold you and make you put an AK-47 together in 30 seconds. That's, it wasn't, that's impressive. <laughs> it wasn't blindfolded, but if it takes that, I will do it because it's important fight. We have to win. There you go. There you go. Well, I, you mentioned uh, for people to contact you in your office. And so how can the great, uh, the great people of District 20 uh, and then around the state of Indiana, even those listeners um, in other states, what's the best way to contact you? Well, it's the best way is probably by email. You know, I have a great assistant too. So he's usually uh, answer the phone and it's very bad, but you know, very good. He's very good at that. But the best email is uh, senator.sparts, it's S-P-A-R-T-Z at um, I-G-A. Uh, .in.gov, or you can just go to general, just Google Indiana General Assembly, and you find all of our names there with our emails. We all read our emails. We look. We're really close to people here. So the people can get to us very easy. We have town halls. We have a lot of meetings, and we're going to have some still another healthcare committee meeting. It's going to be on October 30th. So feel free to stop by, watch it online too, or email about it. We're always happy to 
to hear about how we can do better because we serve the people and we spend your money so <laughs> we better be responsible for results and the same as healthcare we need to have more results well senator thanks for joining us today more ideas like these that we share the faster we'll be in a position to continue to make a positive impact in the world in this state and uh, hopefully others around the u.s so once again thank you for joining us Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure, and I'm glad that we have a lot of people that care. And that's it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Healthcare Americana. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podchaser, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends and colleagues to download and listen to all Healthcare Americana shows at freedomhealthworks.com. 